Hi, this is Pat Thetic from Anti-Flag, and you're listening to the one, the only, Iron City Rocks. Hey, this is Jerry from the Misfits, and you're listening to Iron City Rock. Happy Halloween, everybody. This is Isis Queen from Barbar Dolls, and you're listening to Iron City Rock. Welcome to episode 356 of the Iron City Rocks podcast. I'm your host, Sean, coming to you from the Iron City of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Up first on the program, we have an interview with Isis Queen of the band Barbed Wire Dolls. Barbed Wire Dolls recently tore things up on the Warp Tour this past summer, and right now they're currently out on the headlining tour that will hit Pittsburgh on October 30th. Before we get to that interview, though, here's a track from their latest album, Rub My Mind. This track's called Back in the USSA. Gentlemen, with me on the phone, I have Isis Queen, lead singer from the band Barbed Wire Dolls. How you doing today? Hey, I'm good. I'm good. Uh, thanks for taking the time to talk to us. Um, so what I want to do, I kind of want to start out, um, could you kind of fill our listeners in, those who may not be familiar about uh, Barbed Wire Dolls and how you guys got started? Uh, yeah, Barbed Wire Dolls is uh, a five-piece originally from Crete, Greece. That's the biggest island out of Greece, south of Greece. And um, there was no scene there. There wasn't anything going on. But we were living in an artist commune. We were living up in an artist commune up in the mountains. And uh, we were around so many artists, and we were doing separate projects, you know, there. And, you know, we were really bored with the music scene and what was going on in mainstream rock and roll and even in the underground. And so instead of complaining about it, we started... Uh, um, giving each other thoughts and uh, we formed a band, right. you know? And um, I mean, this is my first band. This is the first time I've ever been in a band. Barbara is my only band. So it's not like we could play uh, like Ze- Led Zeppelin or anything. So right. uh, our influences, <laughs> our influences came from the first wave of punk where it was all about, you know, ha- just giving what you have to the audience and uh, to the stage and not caring what anyone thinks and just go out there and 
uh, blow the stage up. So mm-hmm. we're like, okay, we can we can do that, you know. <laughs> um, it was all it was all about being different too, and um, you know, coming from an artist commune, you're not trying to um, repeat something that someone else did. You're trying to create something new to inspire the world. So, right. um, you know, we're all about doing our own thing, and. Um, Fate had it that uh, Rodney Bigenheimer, which is the most legendary DJ of all time that was uh, with K-Rock at the time out of Los Angeles, found our music from MySpace somehow and started playing our demo. Mm-hmm. And we'd never even played a show, but he started playing our demo on his show. And um, after, you know, three weeks nonstop playing us, he said, you guys really have to come out to L.A. And just um, wait, my alarm's going off. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I think we're good. He says, you guys have to come out to L.A. I'm inviting you, and um, I'm going to announce your first ever show in the U.S. Nice. And how can you say no to that? Exactly. You know, there is the, big, the biggest opportunity a Greek band had ever had, you right. know, up until then. So um, we were the first punk or rock band to ever come to the U.S. to play a show, surprisingly. <laughs> and um, after that, um, you know, uh, fate had it that Lenny Kilmeister of Motorhead discovered us and eventually signed us to his label. And, um, we salute him for that. Right. Right. It's, uh, you know, Lemmy has been known for a lot of great things and signing you guys. I mean, listening to your albums are so catchy. It's, it's, I have a hard time getting them out of my head. Um, <laughs> Good. When, you're, when you're coming from, from Greece, like you said, to LA, which, you know, is a whole different nightmare. Was there a lot of culture? Was there like a culture shock thing there? Um, you know, just getting into that music scene? Um, music scene, yeah, there was a cultural um, shock only because there's so many freaking bands here, you right, know? Right. And uh, we've only got a handful of bands that kind of copy themselves all in Greece. You know, they're all really into their metal and to their stoner rock, surprisingly. Mm-hmm. And so here we came here and there's, you know, all this eclectic different types of genres. But, you know, the scene wasn't really... Um, it wasn't thriving at the time, you know, in 2010, a lot of bands hadn't reunited from years before. And, right. you know, the bands that the, the new bands that were around, you know, weren't uniting together to kind of like start a scene or to start something. And so everyone was kind of, you know, in their own in individual band, just trying to make it. And that's not what music's about. You know, it's not about trying to get recognition from the other. It's about, um, doing what you do and creating something huge out of it, you know, it's right. uh, bringing all that musical foundation together for a huge explosion, which happens, you know? And so, um, we started, uh, bringing bands from the OC cause we did a residency out in the Dollhut, which is this famous place out in the OC. Mm-hmm. We started bringing bands from the OC up to LA to play the strip because they never, they, no one from the OC was cared about the strip and no one from the strip cared about the OC. And so, we started playing residencies at um, On the Rocks, which is the Roxy's uh, uh, boutique club and right. uh, the Viper Room um, and all these bands from the Sunset Strip. We start, uh, all these venues from the Sunset Strip, we started doing residencies there. And um, so we were doing residencies while we were doing it at the Strip and in the OC, and we were bringing bands back and forth. And there was a scene starting, and people started taking notice because, you know, at, in that year, you said you were a punk band and everyone's like, Oh, I don't care about punk, you know, punk's dead. And right. why are you even, you know, care about that genre at all? It's like, but punk rock is what, you know, brings something new to the table. It's what got the energy behind it. It's what's mm-hmm. got the attitude and it's got what 
what rock and roll used to be back in the 50s, you know what I mean? And right. uh, and that's what's needed in this day and age. It's a lot of wimpy bands out there. you got to <laughs> add some aggression to music, you know? Exactly. Um, now, you guys had a, this past summer, you guys were on Warp Tour, and I, unfortunately, I wasn't able to, to catch it this year, but everyone I talked to was like, you got to check out Barbed Wire Dolls, you got to check out Barbed Wire Dolls. You guys are like one of the hottest bands on Warp Tour this year. What does a tour like that do for you guys as a band? Well, you know, we paid all those people to tell you that. (laughs) (laughs) No, Warp Tour was amazing for us. Um, You know, I I didn't know really much about Warp Tour because, you know, we don't have it in Europe. And um, uh, there's a certain caliber that comes with the music that is being uh, provided at Warp Tour. And um, so a lot of the bands that play Warp Tour is a part of that scene I never even heard of. So Warp Tour was always, a, you know, not something that I really thought about. But Kevin Lyman, which was which is the owner of Warp mm-hmm. Tour, um, had discovered us and he asked us, you know, if we wanted to do it, do the whole thing. And we're a touring band. You know, we've played over, it's close to like 900 shows now all across the U- U.S. and Europe, all across the world, um, headlining. Right. And... Um, so we pretty much live out of our backpacks and out of our van down by the river. And, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> and so uh, when he, he asked us to do the whole thing, which is a brutal tour, especially yeah. in the summer, oh, yeah. we were stoked. You know, it was great. It was great. And it was a great opportunity, too, because we'd never really played to be used. All of the venues that we play are usually 21 and over. But this right. way we get to, you know, really uh, broaden our horizons, horizons in, our, our, in the scene. So it was it was a dream come true. Um, now, right before Warped Tour started, you guys released uh, "Rub My Mind," um, which you know your second album in two years, which is kind of rare. A lot of times, there's a little bit of longer gap between albums. Um, can you talk a little bit about how "Rub My Mind" came together? Yeah, I'm really stoked that "Rub My Mind" came out so fast because um, that album was uh, kind of unexpected. Recorded like. Um, we had played Riot Fest out in Chicago mm-hmm. and um, we had met Eagles of Death Metal who were also playing uh, the festival. And um, Dave Catching, who is the guitarist, owns a studio out in Joshua Tree Desert. Right. And the studio is called Rancho de la Luna. And um, it had started the whole desert rock scene um, out of that came out of, you know, from mm-hmm. Caius to Queen Blue Stone Age to, you know, Eagles of Death Metal. So it's a really historic um, studio. And, um, you know, he we were talking about the Icarus Artist Commune, which is where we're from. And he said, oh, I'd love you guys to come and record at my studio. And um, we were doing a tour at the time that we played right. Riot Fest. So on the way back from um, the East Coast, we were and anyway going to uh, the West Coast. And so he's like, you know, you guys should drop by and, and check it out. We're like, there would be an honor, you know, because you mm-hmm. can only be invited to go and record there. Right. So um, at the time, we only had like two, three you know we were just planning on just recording some demos just to say hey we recorded at Rancho de Luna um, and then the the day that we um, confirmed everything on the phone um, Dave Catching walked onto the stage of where Eagles of Death Metal were playing that night which was in Paris mm-hmm. and the Bataclan attacks happened that night oh wow yeah and it was a really surreal experience just to like have talked to him literally half an hour before the shooting happened and um a you know we we thought that the the sessions were going to be over for us you know he probably you know 
just disappear for a while. Um, but a week later, he called us and said, you guys are still coming in, right? And we're like, are you sure you want us to come in? You know, that's your home. You live there, too. And he's like, no, you know, they can't take music away from us. Right. So that that just inspired everything. And within a week prior to us actually arriving to the studio, we wrote that whole album, Rub My Mind, and recorded it in two days mm-hmm. at the studio. We were, we were the first band to go and record there after the, the attacks, and it was a surreal experience. Oh, yeah. And um, we got them all down in two days, and the next day, Iggy Pop came in to do post-pop depression with Josh Homme. So it was, um, you know, it was just a really surreal experience. Um so that's the album, and you know, we those those songs are written strictly and directly out of the emotions that were had happened within that week's time, right. and uh, it was captured beautifully on that album. Right, and it's a great album. I've been really digging it, um, and that's like what you mentioned, like you know, music as you know, the emotions and all that. And I think you know, especially punk rock, that really captures emotions like that. Um, you know. Now, you guys are about to go out on a tour. You know, you mentioned the attacks in Paris. We just had that tragedy out in Vegas. I mean, does that kind of, is that always in the back of your mind when you're going out on tour, kind of, you know, or you try to kind of just ignore stuff like that? You know, if it's my time to go, it's my time to go. And and uh, where else to do it than on tour? And, um, you know, I I give, my heart goes out to all the people that, you know, have lost someone in these horrible attacks but you gotta, you gotta just do what you do and then do it wholeheartedly so that when your day comes, you're at least grateful that you did it without compromising and with no apologies and no excuses. Right. Right. That's a great attitude, a great way to look at it. Um, so you guys are about to go out on your tour. The tour starts tomorrow. Um, how do you guys prepare for a tour? Uh, a lot of yelling and screaming <laughs> at each other. No, I'm just, uh, just getting all the logistics together. I mean, we're really stoked on this tour because this is the first time uh, that we've uh, headlined this tour. I mean, we've only ever headlined tours, but um, this is the first time we're actually bringing bands out mm-hmm. that we've had chosen to um, bring a package of real explosion to the show. And so we've got, you know, obviously Barbara Dolls, but we've also got this uh, female-fronted hardcore band from uh, Russia called the Svetlanas. Mm-hmm. And Nick Oliveri from, you know, that's played with Queens of Stone Age and the Dwarves and a lot of cool bands. Nick Oliveri, he also joins them on bass. Um, and so they're a great, you know, act. It's just a great experience to see. And then, um, and then also we've also got a band, a two-piece, from um, South Korea, um, which are a grungy, you know, indie explosion punk rock, you know, right. in your face, something totally new and, and awesome. And uh, it's their first tour or first ever being in the U.S. before. So it's going to be a, um, a nice treat for them. And uh, so the three bands are touring together. We're, we're doing the whole tour together. And we had um, actually met the Koreans out in England, they had opened up a show that we had pl- were, uh, sold that show actually in mm-hmm. the UK, and it was um, you know <laughs> it was very weird to see uh, you know these two 
these two Asians, you know, walking up onto right. the stage because we, you know, it was just, it was in the middle of nowhere. It wasn't like somewhere, you know, international like uh, London or somewhere. It was mm-hmm. somewhere in the middle of nowhere in the UK. And um, these two little Asians just walk up on stage, put a, you know, girl drummer and a guy on uh, guitar and doing all the effects and everything. And they just hit the first chord and this energy and power that came out of these two shy little Asians was the most <laughs> immense, intense thing ever. So after that show, we were like, you guys have to do a show with us again. And, and we, when we booked the show, we're like, okay, let's invite the Koreans out. And, right. um, and yeah, so it's going to be Barbara Dolls from Greece, uh, Svalanis from Russia, and uh, 57 from South Korea. So it's going to be something that you need to be to experience. You need to be there to experience it because right. that's never going to happen again. Right. <laughs> I'm really looking forward to this show, and I can't wait to catch you here, guys here on the 29th. Um, but, you know, I want to thank you for taking time to talk to us. Um, like I said, really looking forward to this. I wish you good luck on this tour. And, uh definitely be seeing you here real soon awesome thank you so much and you know out to all the people that are listening you know these attacks and everything is uh, you know it it is what it is but don't let it stop you from living your life because at the end of the day you know death is around the corner wherever you are so come out enjoy yourselves and let the music inspire you and and bring life back well said well said thanks thanks again for coming on the show Awesome. Thank you so much. I'd like to thank Isis Queen for taking the time to talk to us. You can catch Barbara Dolls out on the road right now. Again, they'll be hitting Mr. Smalls here in Pittsburgh on October 30th. Up next on the show is Everett Mason from the band Nervecast. Nervecast is an up-and-coming band hailing from Toronto. They just recently released their debut EP called Locked and Loaded. Before we get to that interview, though, here's a track from that. It's a song called Fallen Angels. gentlemen my pleasure to welcome to iron city rocks we have from the band Nervecast on the line we have everett mason how you doing man i'm good how are you doing very very well hey uh you guys are a uh a band out of toronto correct yep that's right okay got a chance to listen to locked and loaded your ep and uh i think it uh for both myself and my co-host kind of enjoyed listening to 
you know, what was a very fresh sounding, but still somewhat classic sounding metal. Um, so can, can you describe for fans, uh, how you define your sound? Um, yeah, we definitely, uh, pay homage to all the classic rock and metal bands. Uh, like we're hugely influenced by, you know, Black Sabbath, ACDC, Guns N' Roses, um, like kind of the old good stuff. And then we just try and put a little bit of a modern spin on it. Um, by just uh, the four of us getting together and combining our influences, it just kind of comes out uh, sounding how it does. So we're happy with how it turned out, but we, we think um, we have more material and we're looking forward to get a full full length record out soon too. Well, let me ask you that because you see a lot of, of bands, you know, in the early part of their career in, in modern times doing EPs. Um, is that just a financial thing at this stage, you know, just doing some, or is this just kind of a let's whet the public's appetite for what we can do? Is kind of a business card for booking agents and things. Yeah, I definitely, I'd say it's like a little bit of both. Like we d- we have our day jobs and and um, and like things were a little bit tight, so doing a four song record was a lot easier. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of getting that production and like getting it mastered and having a little bit of money for a music video, we just thought we could uh, have you know a bit of a stronger impact if we just did four songs off the bat. Right. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's the, uh, all those factors. Yeah, interesting. You mentioned you know having day jobs because I think a lot of people think you know as soon as you hear a band on the radio, it's it's limousines and champagne and you know and that that's even for you know you'd be amazed when you peel back the cover of of even you know working bands that you've known for a long time. How many people still have jobs, uh, you know, to pay for the band stuff? I mean, it doesn't oh, change. Oh, sure. Yeah, um, well, you get into it hoping that you're going to get limousines and all that stuff, and then it just kind of tests you how much you, you love the rock and roll uh, to keep plugging away when that, that doesn't happen overnight or, or maybe never, you know? We're just going to try and do it in some capacity probably for the rest of our lives. Think about it this way. How many bands that when they get really big, they get kind of bloated and the music's not any good? So maybe maybe the, the music industry now being not so great is doing you a favor. It'll keep the sound raw. Um, for sure, yeah. But we need some new bands because all the good stars are, are they're going and they're passing away. So yeah, I, there's there's a there's a need for some some new music um, or some new at least hard rock good good metal bands to come up and get you know make some headway. Yeah, I mean you look at what you know. I, I grew up in an era where you know bands played arenas, you know, and, and any more. You know, even theaters aren't aren't that easy to get filled with with rock and especially metal bands. You know, you you think ten years from now, who's going to be the metal band that's still going to be playing arenas outside of you know maybe Slipknot? Um, you know, what bands are going to be that big still? Um, you know, yeah, so. or you just uh, you'd almost you'd almost have to be some sort of reunion. You know, like uh, you know, too bad Dimebag rest in peace, but it'd almost have to be something like Pantera or someone like that putting together some sort of a lineup to to, yeah. to bring everybody kind of back together. So I, I, yeah. I couldn't really think of a, a current band that could, could fill a stadium that doesn't have like their huge following from the you know 80s or 90s or early right. 2000s. Yeah, maybe another uh, Toronto boy and Sebastian Bach could get together with his old mates, but <laughs> I don't think that's ever going to happen. Uh, but can you talk a little bit about what the metal scene is like, particularly in Toronto, for those you know of us down here in the states? You know, what kind of scene is it up there? Um, I think there's the there there's a metal scene here that's um, 
unfortunately, I don't think it's a big that big considering how big our population is. Mm-hmm. Like it seems like it's a pretty small um, percentage of the music scene, and you kind of see the same people out at the, those shows and stuff. So it's it's cool and it's it's nice to to be a part of it, but. Um, you kind of get this uh, feeling in the back of your, you know, deep down in your gut that, you know, if you're a Toronto metal band, you probably have to start getting fans outside of the city mm-hmm. to tr- and, you know, just get, get further. Because I don't think there's quite enough here just to just to be a local Toronto metal band. Everett, what about your, your age range? I mean, do you find that many of your peers growing up, you know, through school and things listen to metal? I mean, I, I know hip-hop is obviously kind of in some ways pushed rock out in a lot of youth do you find many of your friends growing up listening to to rock and metal Uh, I'd agree with you there too hip hop was probably the main thing and it kind of made me uh, an outsider uh, growing up up and wanting to learn more like guitar solos and stuff while everybody else kind of around me was you know getting their little Interfaces and just doing electronic music, and right. you know, I'd even see some of them were making money pretty quickly, just getting covers up online and stuff. And then we're kind of sludging away to to do our to get better at our instruments and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So um, I guess it's at the end of the day, it's still you do what you love. Sure. And even though like the hip hop like was very you know in my face, and it took effort to kind of avoid it and and to go out and still do my rock stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you still kind of just realize that this this is the time, and it hasn't really affected um, my love for rock and metal. But it, it definitely made it is making it more of a challenge to try and get heard in in somewhat of a mainstream sense. Hmm. Now, now growing up, um, you you play guitar and sing. Um, what were your kind of guitar heroes? Uh, probably like the the first ones were were probably Slash and, and Keith Richards. Mm-hmm. I used to not really want to even be the singer. Um, I used to just think that you know it'd be cool to have a separate singer who is like a front man, like a like a Mick Jagger and Axl Rose, and then you can just control your acts. Mm-hmm. But um, as I kept going, I, I started getting better at at singing, and you know we're kind of jamming with other people, and I ended up liking the way my voice sounded more, so I just uh, kept plugging away at that, and now I sing and play guitar. Do you? Uh were there people you kind of wanted to emulate on vocals? I mean, I think that's kind of a big thing for metal bands because I don't, I don't know about you, but I know most of the people I know who are into metal, you play a song, and as soon as the vocalist comes in, that's kind of when you make your decision on yes or no. You know, oh, this is a death metal, I don't like growling, or this is a black metal, I don't like screaming, or I don't like you know this or that, or I love the Bruce Dickinson thing. How, how did you... Kind of when you first stepped up to the mic, how did you approach what came out? Well, probably when I first stepped up to it, uh, I wasn't even completely sure uh, what I wanted to to sound like. It was I actually like some of my vocal influences when we first started. I don't even know if it's safe to call them influences, but guys I looked up to were like, you know, Phil and Selmo, mm-hmm. and like just kind of more uh, aggressive vocals um but uh it wasn't me when i when i came on did if we, if we covered pantera and stuff we might be able to get away with some stuff off cowboys where you could sing it a little bit more like halford right so, um it was almost like a little bit of a wake-up call that like hey if i'm going to sing i got to find my own voice mm-hmm. and and do my own thing so some a little bit of old iron maiden covers we started doing mm-hmm. uh we did some bond scott acdc 
era covers and stuff when I first started singing. So once uh, I started feeling a little bit more confident with with those, then um, you know I just felt uh, better about my own sound, and it um, yeah just came from just uh, finding that I could uh, lock into some of those cl- classic rock kind of vocal style stuff mm. more than. Um, you know, like then trying to sing In Flames and and uh, and Pantera and sure. even Slayer, like it was just it wasn't quite as natural. When you started singing, did it impact what you were playing on guitar? Did you find that you had to you know maybe simplify some of the riffs and go with just more power chords, or were you able to you know one of those blessed people who can do both well at the same time? Uh, I'd say I'm, I'm uh, maybe halfway through that I like the challenge of not being able to sing over it right away. So mm-hmm. I'll slow it down and try and do both. Um, maybe get one of the guys at rehearsal to, to film me or something, and then I can see what I'm actually doing when I'm singing. Mm-hmm. Um, adding a second guitar player um, to, like, this is the first band I've been in where we've had two guitar players. So that takes a little bit of... Um, I guess the technical stuff away when I'm singing, I can just hold chords a lot of times, and and Kevin can kind of play the the more intricate stuff. Right. So, yeah, definitely, definitely, uh, it's it's more of a challenge. Uh, but I I try not to dumb it down unless I think it's gonna sound better. Yeah, I, I, I and there's no shame in that. I think that takes a special breed of person. You know, you think about the the truly great guitarists who who sang. Um, you know, a lot of them, you know, think of Eric Clapton, for example, you know, who would did all the cool stuff in between the lyrics, you know, if you really listen to a lot of his stuff versus, you know, some of the more technical things that he did. Um, it's not an easy thing to do. Um, when it comes to soloing, um, do you and Kevin kind of split those up or, or do you have, is that depending on who wrote the solo or how do you divvy that, that up? Um, it's usually on, on who wrote the solo and, um, Sometimes because I know our style, like Kevin's got a little bit more of like a Yingwei, Malmsteen, Kirk Hammett um, type of feel, and I'm a little bit more of a, a Slash or a mm-hmm. Bluesy or sometimes Angus Young thing. So usually, um, if it takes more notes and faster stuff, I'll, I'll let Kevin do it. Mm-hmm. And if it's something that's a little bit more of a, you know, a, a longer held kind of with a, a bluesy feel, then then maybe I'll try and, and do the solo. And that's you know I think that's always good when you have two guitarists who excel at, at different things in a way because you know you don't see bands some you know with two shredders sometimes working. I um, mean you know, that sometimes can get a little too much. Um, so it's always nice to have that kind of interplay between you know two opposed styles. Um, as far as I, I see, you have the CD release uh, coming up later in the month of October in Toronto. Have you guys booked anything or are considering any runs outside of Toronto in this foreseeable future? Uh, well, we're playing in St. Catharines this Thursday, which mm-hmm. is uh, just kind of like a little city close to Niagara Falls. That's mm-hmm. about an hour and a half away from Toronto. Then we're playing in Hamilton, which is, uh, again, uh, just about 45, 50 minutes away from Toronto. And then we have a, an indie week um, it's a little festival they do in, in uh, here in Toronto at the beginning mm-hmm. of November that we're just going to try and, you know, maybe play in front of some industry people and, and see if that gets us any more recognition. But right now, nothing um, nothing further than just an hour or two away from Toronto. We want to uh, hit, hit Montreal, which mm-hmm. is 
about five hours away from us, and they they do have a stronger metal scene than uh, than Toronto. Sure. Yeah, we have a better hockey team, and they have a better uh, metal metal scene. Okay. So we definitely want to go over there yeah. and uh, and then hit that up. Um, and then the states is is obviously the 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 goal, but we just need to work out what's going to go on uh, a bit financially and and make sure our our working visas are in place and all that stuff. Yeah, that can be a challenge, but you know, luckily, you know, once you get over the border, you've got, you know, Syracuse has got a great metal scene. Um, you know, Cleveland, Pittsburgh, you know, Detroit are all, you know, relatively reachable. Um, you can oh, kind of awesome. you can follow the Canadians and uh, down into, or I'm sorry, the Maple Leafs down into Pittsburgh and uh, maybe catch the Penguins shellacking them. <laughs> well, Phil Kessel's worked out good for you guys. All he's done is one cup since he's left here. So. Exactly, exactly. You all don't know what you got till it's gone. I think somebody once said. But there um, you go. Uh, we're we're happy too. I think we're both happy. We like what we have. Excellent. Well, Everett, I want to congratulate you on the uh, the EP. It's uh, getting going to be out October twenty first. Where can folks pick that up? Um, physical or digital or. or? I don't know how you're distributing it, but what is yeah. that? It's going to be on uh, on iTunes, uh, Amazon. Uh, we have a Bandcamp page where you can just go with your PayPal and get it right there. Okay. And then, um, if you're ever in doubt, uh, just find us on any social media, Twitter, uh, Facebook, and, and flip us a message just saying, I want a CD, and one of us will, will personally mail it to you. Awesome. Okay. We'll have links up for that on Iron City Rocks. Again, the band is Nervecap. It's N-E-R-V-C-A-S-T uh, for those who are spelling challenged. Um, check that out, and we want to appreciate uh, or want to thank you for your time, Everett. I really appreciate your time today, man. All right. Thanks for having me. really appreciate it. Ladies and gentlemen, my pleasure to welcome to Iron City Rocks. We have from the band Nervecast on the line, we have Everett Mason. How you doing, man? I'm good. How are you? Doing very, very well. Hey, uh, you guys are a... Uh, a band out of Toronto, correct? Yep, that's right. Okay, got a chance to listen to Locked and Loaded, your EP, and uh, I think it, uh, for both myself and my co-host, kind of enjoyed listening to, you know, what was a very fresh-sounding, but still somewhat classic-sounding metal. Um, so can can you describe for fans uh, how you define your sound? Um, yeah, we definitely... Uh, pay homage to all the classic rock and metal bands. Uh, like we're hugely influenced by, you know, Black Sabbath, ACDC, Guns N' Roses, um, like kind of the old good stuff. And then we just try and put a little bit of a modern spin on it um, by just uh, the four of us getting together and combining our influences. It just kind of comes out uh, sounding how it does. So we're happy with how it turned out, but we, we think... Um, we have more material, and we're looking forward to get a full full length record out soon too. Well, let me ask you that because you see a lot of, of bands, you know, in the early part of their career in in modern times doing EPs. Um, is that just a financial thing at this stage? You know, just doing some, or is this just kind of a let's whet the public's appetite for what we can do? Is kind of a business card for booking agents and things? Yeah, I definitely. I'd say it's like a little bit of both. Like we d- we have our day jobs and and. Um, and like things were a little bit tight, so doing a four-song record was a lot easier. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of getting that production and like getting it mastered and having a little bit of money for a music video, we just thought we could uh, have you know a, a bit of a stronger impact if we just did four songs off the bat. Right. 
that's, that's the, uh, all those factors, yeah. Interesting you mentioned, you know, having day jobs, because I think a lot of people think, you know, as soon as you hear a band on the radio, it's it's limousines and champagne, and, you know, and that that's even for, you know, you'd be amazed when you peel back the cover of, of even, you know, working bands that you've known for a long time, how many people still have jobs, uh, you know, to pay for the band stuff. I mean, it doesn't oh, change. Oh, sure. Yeah, um, well, you get into it hoping that you're going to get limousines and all that stuff, and then it just kind of tests you how much you, you love the rock and roll uh, to keep plugging away when that, that doesn't happen overnight, or, or maybe never, you know? We're just going to try and do it in some capacity probably for the rest of our lives. Think about it this way. How many bands that when they get really big, they get kind of bloated and the music's not any good? So maybe maybe the, the music industry now being not so great is doing you a favor. It'll keep the sound raw. Um, for sure, yeah. But we need some new bands because all the good stars are, are they're going and they're passing away. So yeah, I, there's there's a there's a need for some some new music um, or some new at least hard rock good good metal bands to come up and get you know make some headway. Yeah, I mean you look at what you know. I, I grew up in an era where you know bands played arenas, you know, and, and any more. You know, even theaters aren't aren't that easy to get filled with with rock and especially metal bands. You know, you you think ten years from now, who's going to be the metal band that's still going to be playing arenas outside of you know maybe Slipknot? Um, you know, what bands are going to be that big still? Um, you know, yeah, so. or you just uh, you'd almost you'd almost have to be some sort of reunion. You know, like uh, you know, too bad Dimebag rest in peace, but it'd almost have to be something like Pantera or someone like that putting together some sort of a lineup to. To, to bring everybody kind of back together, so I I, can't, yeah. I couldn't really think of a, a current band that could could fill a stadium that doesn't have like their huge following from the you know 80s or 90s or early right. 2000s. Yeah, maybe another uh, Toronto boy and Sebastian Bach could get together with his old mates, but <laughs> I don't think that's ever going to happen. Uh, but can you talk a little bit about what the metal scene is like, particularly in Toronto, for those you know of us down here in the states? You know, what kind of scene is it up there? Um, I think there's the there there's a metal scene here that's um, unfortunately I don't think it's big that big considering how big our population is. Mm-hmm. Like it seems like it's a pretty small um, percentage of the music scene, and you kind of see the same people out at the, those shows and stuff. So it's it's cool and it's it's nice to to be a part of it, but um, you kind of get this uh, feeling in the back here, you know deep down in your gut that you know if you're a Toronto metal band you probably have to start getting fans outside of the city mm-hmm. to try and you know just get get further because I don't think there's quite enough here just to just to be a local Toronto metal band Everett what about your your age range I mean do you find that many of your peers growing up you know through school and things listen to metal I mean I, I know hip-hop is obviously kind of in some ways pushed rock out in a lot of youth do you find many of your friends growing up listening to the rock and metal i i'd agree with you there too hip-hop was probably the main thing and it, it kind of made me uh an outsider uh, growing up growing up and wanting to learn more like guitar solos and stuff while everybody else kind of around me was you know getting their little Interfaces and just doing electronic music, and right. you know, I'd even see some of them were making money pretty quickly, just getting covers up online and stuff. And then we're kind of sludging away to to do our to get better at our instruments and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So um, I guess it's at the end of the day, it's still you do what you love. Sure. And even though like the hip hop like was very 
you know, in my face and it took effort to kind of avoid it and, and to go out and still do my rock stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you still kind of just realize that this, this is the time and it hasn't really affected, um, my love for rock and metal, but it, it definitely made it, is making it more of a challenge to try and get heard in, in somewhat of a mainstream sense. Mm-hmm. Now, now growing up, um, you, you play guitar and sing. Um, what were your kind of guitar heroes? Uh, probably like the, f- the first ones were, were probably Slash and, and Keith Richards. Mm-hmm. I used to not really want to even be the singer. Um, I used to just think that, you know, it'd be cool to have a separate singer who is like a front man, like a, like a Mick Jagger and Axl Rose, and then you can just control your acts. Mm-hmm. But, um, as I kept going, I, I started getting better at, at singing and, you know, we're kind of jamming with other people and I ended up liking the way my voice sounded more. So I just, uh, kept plugging away at that and now I sing and play guitar. Do you, uh, were there people you kind of wanted to emulate on vocals? I mean, I think that's kind of a big thing for metal bands because I don't, I don't know about you, but I know most of the people I know who are into metal, you play a song and as soon as the vocalist comes in, that's kind of when you make your decision on yes or no. You know, oh, this is a death metal, I don't like growling, or this is a black metal, I don't like screaming, or I don't like, you know, this or that, or I love the Bruce Dickens thing. How, how did you kind of, when you first stepped up to the mic, how did you approach what came out? Well, probably when I first stepped up to it, uh, I wasn't even completely sure uh, what I wanted to to sound like it was I actually like some of my vocal influences when we first started I don't even know if it's safe to call them influences but guys I looked up to were like you know Phil Anselmo Mm -hmm. and like just kind of more uh, aggressive vocals Um, but uh, it wasn't me when I when I came on did if we we covered Pantera and stuff we might be able to get away with some stuff off Cowboys where you could sing it a little bit more like Halford right um, it was almost like a little bit of a wake-up call that like hey if I'm gonna sing I got to find my own voice and and do my own thing so some a little bit of old iron maiden covers we started doing mm-hmm. uh we did some bond scott acdc era covers and stuff when i first started singing so once uh i started feeling a little bit more confident with with those then um you know i just felt uh better about my own sound and it um yeah it just came from just uh finding that i could uh lock into some of those cl- classic rock kind of vocal style stuff mm. more than um you know like than trying to sing in flames and and uh and pantera and sure. even slayer like it was just it wasn't quite as natural when you started singing did it impact what you were playing on guitar did you find that you had to you know maybe simplify some of the riffs and go with just more power chords or were you able to you know one of those blessed people who can do both well at the same time uh, I, I'd say I'm, I'm uh, maybe halfway through that I like the challenge of not being able to sing over it right away. So mm-hmm. I'll slow it down and try and do both. Um, maybe get one of the guys at rehearsal to, to film me or something, and then I can see what I'm actually doing when I'm singing. Mm-hmm. Um, adding a second guitar player um, to, like, this is the first band I've been in where we've had two guitar players. So that takes a little bit of... Um, I guess the technical stuff away when I'm singing, I can just hold chords a lot of times, and and Kevin can kind of play the the more intricate stuff. Right. So, yeah, definitely, definitely, uh, it's it's more of a challenge. Uh, but I I try not to dumb it down unless I think it's gonna sound better. 
Yeah, I, 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 and there's no shame in that. I think th- that takes a special breed of person. You know, you think about the the truly great guitarists who who sang. Um, you know, a lot of them. You know, think of Eric Clapton, for example. You know, who would did all the cool stuff in between the lyrics. You know, if you really listen to a lot of his stuff, versus you know some of the more technical things that he did. Um, it's not an easy thing to do. Um, when it comes to soloing, um, do you and Kevin kind of split those up, or, or do you have? Is that depending on who wrote the solo, or how do you divvy that that up? Um, it's usually on on who wrote the solo, and um, sometimes because I know our style, like Kevin's got a little bit more of like a Yingwei, Malmsteen, Kirk Hammett. Um, type of feel and I'm a little bit more of a, a slash or a mm-hmm. bluesy or sometimes Angus Young thing so usually um, if it takes more notes and faster stuff I'll, I'll let Kevin do it mm-hmm. and if it's something that's a little bit more of a you know a, a longer held kind of with a, a bluesy feel then, then maybe I'll try and, and do the solo and that's you know I think that's always good when you have two guitarists who excel at, at different things in a way because you know you don't see bands some you know with two shredders sometimes working um you know that sometimes can get a little too much um so it's always nice to have that kind of interplay between you know two opposed styles um as far as i I see you have the cd release uh coming up later in the month of october in toronto have you guys booked anything or are considering any runs outside of toronto in this foreseeable future uh, well, we're playing in St. Catharines this Thursday, which mm-hmm. is uh, just kind of like a little city close to Niagara Falls. That's mm-hmm. about an hour and a half away from Toronto. Then we're playing in Hamilton, which is, uh, again, uh, just about 45, 50 minutes away from Toronto. And then we have a, an indie week. Um, it's a little festival they do in, in uh, here in Toronto at the beginning mm-hmm. of November. That we're just gonna try and you know maybe play in front of some industry people and and see if that gets us any more recognition. But right now nothing um nothing further than just an hour or two away from Toronto. We want to uh, hit hit Montreal, which mm-hmm. is about five hours away from us, and they they do have a stronger metal scene than uh, than Toronto. Sure. sure. Yeah, we have a better hockey team and they have a better uh, metal metal scene. Okay. So we definitely want to go over there mm-hmm. and. Uh, and then hit that up, um, and then the states is is obviously the 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 goal. But we just need to work out what's going to go on uh, a bit financially, and and make sure our our working visas are in place and all that stuff. Yeah, that can be a challenge. But you know, luckily, you know, once you get over the border, you've got you know Syracuse has got a great metal scene. Um, you know, Cleveland, Pittsburgh, you know, Detroit are all you know relatively reachable. Um, you can oh, kind of awesome. you can follow the Canadians and. Uh, down into, or I'm sorry, the Maple Leafs down into Pittsburgh and uh, maybe catch the Penguins shellacking them. <laughs> well, Phil Kessel's worked out good for you guys. All he's done is one cup since he's left here. So. Exactly, exactly. You all don't know what you got till it's gone. I think somebody once said. But there um, you go. Oh, uh, we're we're happy too. I think we're both happy. We like what we have. Excellent. Well, Everett, I want to congratulate you on the uh, the EP. It's again uh, going to be out October twenty first. Where can folks pick that up, um, physical or digital, or, or how, I don't know how you're distributing it, but what is yeah. this? Though? It's going to be on uh, on iTunes, uh, Amazon. Uh, we have a Bandcamp page where you can just go with your PayPal and get it right there. Okay. And then, um, if you're ever in doubt, uh, just find us on any social media, Twitter, 
uh, Facebook and, and flip us a message just saying, I want a CD, and one of us will, will personally mail it to you. Awesome. Okay. Well, we'll have links up for that on Iron City Rocks. Again, the band is NerveCap. It's N-E-R-V-C-A-S-T. Uh, for those who are spelling challenged, um, check that out. And we want to appreciate, uh, or want to thank you for your time, Everett. I really appreciate your time today, man. All right, thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Okay, I'd like to thank Everett for taking the time to talk to us. The band's called Nervecast. The EP's called Locked and Loaded. Definitely want to check that one out. That about wraps up this episode. I'd like to thank you for tuning in. If you have any questions or comments, please drop us a line at ironcityrocks at gmail.com. Also, check us out on social media. We've got Twitter at ironcityrocks.com, Instagram at ironcityrocks.com, and Facebook at ironcityrocks.com. Until next time, thanks for listening. Uh.